It's interesting, you can kind of find a little corner out in the lobby and watch people in, and you can see them kind of like, they're looking for that person that they know, or it's like, ooh, I don't want to talk to them, and you can see the, the, that kind of a deal where they go into stealth mode to try to disappear. And, and, and just, um, you know, where am I going to sit? How many seats do I leave between me and the person next to me, you know, before it gets awkward? You know, it's, right? So we're always kind of measuring that distance and scoping that stuff out and trying to figure out who's who, and uh, so it's kind of interesting like that. We see it in leadership as well. Like it's, it's part of that um, leadership process of, of um, position versus really having influence. It's like uh, there's a lot of the different teachers that teach on leadership. You know, John Maxwell is one of those people and he talks about these different levels of leadership. But it's like we, we're scoping people out to see whether, okay, can I trust this person? Or, you know, are, are they going to do what they say they do? And, and, and can I listen to them? Do their, do their words and their actions line up? Are they leading out of a place of, of really um, of connection or is it just out of position and their influence on others? You're evaluating me this morning. Like ever since I, everything, you know, I step up here and everybody's kind of like, okay, is, is he going to be random this morning? Is he going to be, you know, like, or is he like, I wonder if he's going to preach good this morning. You know, you know, kind of those things and, and how, how well that's going. Like, do I like what he's saying? Can I trust this guy? Do I like his shirt? You know, all these different things, right, that, that go through your mind. And, and those are, are actually valuable questions, right? They're, those are, it's okay to ask those questions. I don't mean the shirt thing, but it's like, you know, you, you evaluate different people by where they're at. Should I and can I trust them? Should I listen to them? Because here's the thing. Trustworthiness matters. Not everyone deserves to be followed, nor does every voice out there carry equal weight. And we live in the information age. We live in a day and age where anybody that has an opinion has a platform. It's called social media. And, and I tell you what, it's like, it, it can get ridiculous. Because depending on how many followers you have, <laughs> it's like people that really, you know, you kind of, you, you wish. It's like you read something, the cringe factor comes, it's like, oh, oh, I wish they hadn't said that. You know, it's like, but it's like, so there's voices out there and they're not all equally valuable as far as listening to them. So how do we, how do we know? How do we know who we should listen to and who we shouldn't listen to? It's like, what's this got to do with growing? Stay with me. You will get it. it I promise. I'm going somewheres with this. In the book of Matthew, which is the, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew writes his gospel and Jesus is He's talking to his followers. He's talking to those that are closest to him. He's talking to his disciples and those around him. And he's warning them and warning the crowds that not all teachers, not all religious leaders, not all of those that have a voice per se are created equal. In fact, he teaches his people how to recognize those who, he, who could be influencing them in a negative way. Like they've got, they've got a message, they've got a voice, but they're not necessarily, they're, they're authoritative in what they're saying, but they're not necessarily be taking it at face value. So if you want to track with me on this, um, we're going to turn in, in scriptures, Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 15 in the New International Version. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 15, we're going to read down through to 23, but... So, so thinking about this from the standpoint of credibility, from the standpoint of voices that we can and cannot listen to. And, and so Jesus is speaking to that in a religious context here with his followers. And he starts in verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. 
Okay, so that's a specific type. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, so they're coming to you. They're prophets. They come in you in sheep's clothing. You know, it could even be a reference to the general uniform, like the, the typical uniform of a prophet. But inwardly, they're predators. By their fruit, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, I'm going to have to explain this a little bit because if you guys go to apples and oranges here, you're going to miss the point. There's something that talks about fruit. I don't know if you realize this, but our lives have output. All right, Our, our lives produce something. Our, our lives actually, you know, like they actually, there's an output from our lives. And, and it's, it's something that, that we all do, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, but we all produce something. Because there's this complex interaction between our thinking, what we believe, our personalities, our actions, our surroundings, the things that input into our lives, what we take in, our health, both mental and physical. And all of those things combine and, and as they combine, characteristics from that, like things come out of that, that comes out of us. It's what's projected to others around us. It's reflected in our words, it's reflected in our attitudes, and it's reflected in our actions. The Bible often refers to this as fruit. That's a way to describe it. The Bible often refers to this as fruit. As Jesus did here in this case. Now, that may be strange, you know, to describe the outflow of our lives as fruit to us. But it definitely would have made sense to Jesus' audience at that point. Like, he's speaking to an agrarian culture. He's speaking to these people that were farmers, that grew their own food. The idea of something producing and something producing fruit would have made complete sense to them. So he used object lessons that would easily connect to their culture. And so, you know, we might need to work just a tiny bit, not much, because we understand that, you know, fruit comes from trees, not from superstore, right? I mean, we understand that there's different things that allow us to do that. So we, we want to make sure that we're, we're making the leap to our present culture. So this, the scripture continues in verse 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And then he goes on to say, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs, or figs from thistles? I mean... The obvious, it's a rhetorical question, but people are going to go, no, of course not. I mean, we know that. That's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? This is so obvious. Then he goes on and explains. He says, likewise, every good or healthy tree bears good fruit, but a bad or diseased or unhealthy tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So he's going back. He said, guys, false prophets, people that look good on the outside, but they're corrupt on the inside. It's like you will recognize them, not necessarily by what they say, but by their fruit. They may say they're a prophet. They may dress like a prophet. They may say, thus saith the Lord, like a prophet. But it's more than the uniform. Someone may look good on the surface, but they may be a false prophet. And how can you tell? How can you tell? You can tell by their fruit, by the output of their lives. You can tell the nature of the prophet by their lives, just like you can tell the nature of a tree by its fruit. That requires a little bit more digging on our part. 
That requires us to be observant. That requires maybe sometimes to think about this in more than just a single context. It might be a case where we got to go, okay, well, that's what they're saying, but who are they? Where is this coming from? How can I tell whether what they're saying should be listened to? And, and, and he goes further. Jesus in his teaching here, he goes even further in verse 21 as we continue. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, referring to the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, so at the end of time when all accounts get settled, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles? Credentials, like, this is like, come on, God, here's, here's the proof. And it says, he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's like, whoa, that's, a, that's like, them's fighting words. I don't know if you know, but it's like in a biblical context, them's fighting words. When, they, when that's, Jesus is throwing off the gloves at this point, and he's saying, that's, he's, look, he's spoiling for a fight at that point. That's extreme language. I mean, really? I mean, this sounds good. I mean, th- this sounds like pretty good evidence here. Like miracles? Casting out demons? Like, come on, God, that sounds like it should be pretty good evidence in their favor. But it says that God clearly rejects them. He says, only those who do the will of the Father. You see, it goes deeper than just, I'll say, performing a miracle. It goes deeper than that. Only those who do the will of the Father. It's not what a prophet says, it's not what, but it's really how the prophet lives that gives them the credibility. If their lives are not producing good fruit, then you don't listen to them. They're not a good tree. They may say great prayers, but that doesn't, near, that doesn't guarantee that they know who they're praying to. They may say great prayers, but that doesn't know, that doesn't mean that they know who they're praying to. There's, there's, there's a discernment here. This is dealing with prophets. Okay, so this is Jesus protecting the disciples and so on. It's like, you don't just take it all at face value, guys. But these principles can actually apply to our lives as believers as well. This idea of fruit, this idea of identifying people, this idea of figuring out, like, you know, who's who and the what's what in the Christian world. There's, there's things that you can look for that you can tell if someone is spiritually growing and healthy. And you can do that by what their life produces, the fruit of their lives. Now, I'm not talking about perfection here. I mean, if you want to carry the analogy of the fruit tree even further, not every apple on a fruit tree is perfect. But the idea of the principle here that... If you've got a, a sick, diseased tree, it's like you can't be expecting a great harvest of good fruit on that tree, and vice versa. It's like if you've got a healthy tree, things will come out of that. So it's like I'm not talking about perfection here, but I am talking about the principle of what is the person's life producing. And so here we have an extensive example. It's found in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to be reading for the New Living Translation for this little clip here. But Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start at, nine, at verse 19 and go down to 23. And if you like, this is a contrast between the fruit of the Spirit, which would be a healthy tree, and one that's corrupt, uh, one that's kind of giving in to their sinful desires. A life surrendered to God versus a one that's not. 
Okay, so that's kind of the comparison here. We've got two different types of, of, of people, two different types of trees, and the contrast of the fruit. So this it kind of gives you a picture of, okay, we're not talking about apples and oranges. What's the specifics? What are we talking about? Well, this is a way to look at that. We start in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, okay, so we're going to call that the diseased tree over here, okay? Not, not you guys, like the diseased tree up here, okay? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is quite a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Dot, 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 etc. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a picture of bad fruit, we'll say. Okay? So that's a way to recognize those things. That's bad fruit. Then he goes on. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Okay? So back to the fruit analogy. All ties in. The Holy Spirit produces love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. No, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know why I sometimes miss that one. There's no law against these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what, that's what a healthy tree produces. That's, what, that's the output of our lives when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live above our sinful nature. When we live on a level above those things. There's no law against those things. It's like, God help us. I mean, really, honestly. God help us to overcome our sinful nature. God help us to live above that. God help us to follow you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to grow. Lord, help us to produce that kind of fruit. We need to bear those kind of fruits in our lives. Lord, let the overflow of our lives be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, faithfulness. That one, too. There's nine. I've got my wife sitting on the front row. She catches the ones that I miss. And I change the order sometimes, too, so it's, but it's all right. Think about those things. Fruit is the evidence, the outworking, but it's based on the internal. It's, it's what we produce, but it's based on what's going on in here. If you want to know what type of tree it is, inspect the fruit. The working of the Spirit in us produces good fruit. It's a spiritual process, but it's much more practical than you might think. It's not like this... Um, you know, like the magic wand and the sugar plum fairy or whatever kind of just, boom, touches you like that, and it's like the, the fairy dust comes down, and boom, all of a sudden, there you go, you now produce these things. There's, there is the idea that the Holy Spirit empowers us. It, it, it produces the fruit in us, but there's actually personal decisions and actions that are involved in the process. Like, it's, it, it's, it's not, it, it's this 
crazy combination of instant, um, an, an instant transformation that takes the rest of our lives to work out. You know what I mean? It's like we are instantly, the, the character of our lives is changed. What happens inside is changed, but the outworking of that takes the rest of our lives. If we want to continue with this fruit analogy, if we turn to John chapter 15, and this is, this is kind of where I'm landing with this idea of growing, of the process of growing in God, producing the right fruit. John chapter 15, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. All right, so, so we're talking about this idea of growing, about producing good fruit, the outflow of our lives. And John chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Jesus speaking says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You have to understand here, pruning is a part of that horticultural process where, where vines, trees, someone like that, that produce the fruit. It's the process where, where things that are just kind of growing but not producing anything, they're trimmed back to allow the, the energy, the power, the, the, the sustenance within that plant to actually go to producing good fruit. Things that don't produce good fruit are, are cut off. That's the, the pruning, the nature of that. While every branch that does not bear good fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. The sad part there is whether you're producing fruit or not, you still get cut in the process. Ouch. But that's, that's part of the process, okay? That's just, we just have to recognize that. That's like being in the gap and the stretch there. So we get cut in the process. He says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You're saved, but remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Again, these people will go, well, duh. Like, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, but neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It's like you started out good, but stay in me. I feel like John is saying, you know, you're part of the body, yes. You're believers, but remain connected to the source. Good fruit, the output of our lives, is the evidence of health and growth. It's there. It's that evidence of health and growth. We know we're healthy. We know we're growing by the good fruit. Jesus continues in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Again, he's repeating himself. Take note of that. When you're reading scripture and he's repeating himself, that's important. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, if you remain in me, and in my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, remaining in Christ is a command here, and a command with a warning. There's a responsibility on us as believers to intentionally grow connective tissue, if you will, to be steadfast, connected, part of the vine in Christ. There's a connectedness there that's, that it's a two-way thing. It's, it's almost like a handshake, I feel sometimes. It's like, who can I pick on? Julie, come up here for a second. It's like there's this, there's this sense of, there's this sense of like a handshake that connectedness is two ways, right? Has any, you guys, has any of you guys had a bad handshake? Do you know what I mean? The limp fish handshake? 
like, right? That's not connectedness. But what, what we're talking about here is like that, that connectedness is like hand to hand, grip to grip, connectedness. Yes, Jesus plays a part in it, but it's up to us. You know what I mean? And if you're hanging off a cliff and somebody's got a hold of you, you've got a hold of them. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a connectedness. There's, there's something at risk. So you're, you're connected. So Jesus is talking in the same way. You know, good fruit, the output of our lives, that evidence is from connectedness. Fruit comes from connectedness to Christ. Now we can get really theoretical, right? We can get really spiritual, which, and we should be spiritual. We can over-spiritualize it to make it something very ethereal, something otherworldly. Like this connected to Jesus, it's, it's something out there and spooky. But in this particular scripture, Jesus doesn't really leave room for that. He goes deeper than that. It's a, um, it's a vertical relationship, vertical process. So there's a connection to God, like there's that reaching out. But there's also a horizontal aspect to this. This being connected is like, and he really mixes it up here. Like he really blurs the lines between these two things. And he really makes it connected. It's very important. The, the, the vertical is our relationship with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then our, our horizontal is this connection amongst each other. And Jesus just goes at it here. And he examples it in his own life when he came to earth in verse 9. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Okay, so there's this Father, Jesus love, and then there's this Jesus you love. Now remain in my love. I mean, that's the beginning. That's where it starts. He says... It begins with, with uh, God has loved me, I have loved you. That's the beginning, and it goes on from there. This is where it gets real. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus has given him an example of both. He says, I've told you this so that may, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know what the master's business is about. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't even choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear much fruit. And that your fruit will remain. It's all connected here, people. It's all part of that process. It's how it comes about that I might, you might bear much fruit and your fruit will last. And so whatever you ask in my name and the Father will give you, this is my command. Love each other. That seems strange to us. I mean, it seems strange to me. It's like we've got this kind of like stay grafted in the vine. Like, stay grafted into Jesus. Stay connected to him. And his command is love each other. It's like, God, what gives there? Like, how does that work? We, I mean, we read in, the, in Matthew's gospel, that in the Old Testament law, he, he talks about this, this idea of love God, love people, love God, love people, and that whole principle, the, the two most important commandments. And, and it talks about how the Old Testament law and the prophets hang on these two premises, love God, love people. I mean, I mean really, that is Christianity in its most basic, basic form. If, if you're trying to figure out Christianity and there's a lot of confusion with it, go back to the basics, and the ba basics are this, love God and love people. It's like if we can master that, 
we've got it covered. We, like, that's the law and the prophets all also summed up in, in those two statements. It's huge, it's complicated, but it is that simple. To remain connected is to love God and to love people. To bear much fruit is through connectedness and empowerment. To, to do what's commanded, to love each other. Remain in me, he says. It's the call to be spiritually united to Jesus in a life-giving, sustaining relationship. Okay? I'm going to say that again. It's, to be, it's a call to be spiritually united to Jesus in a life-giving, sustaining relationship, the source of all strength, love, and grace, and and united to each other in love, uh, united to each other in love as a sustaining, empowering relationship. So there's both sides of it. There's loving God, there's loving people. When we think about fruit as a sign of health and growth, it's interesting to note that the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about, the love, joy, peace, and the rest of them that Debbie knows better than I do, that, that part, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those fruit of the Spirit, they're indirectly or directly part of community. Think about those things. If, if, if it was just dealing with a single individual person, great, loving yourself, which, I mean, we know we, we need to do, but if that's all there's going on, that's narcissism. That's a bad thing, right? But love and community, that's powerful. Joy, joy really finds its completeness in community. It does. Peace. You know, we talk about peace on earth, that kind of peace, but we talk about internal peace and that kind of peace that God gives. But peace, you don't need peace if there's not more than one person to be at each other's throats, right? So the idea, like, there, there's just so many community words in that. Just like we grow in the gap, okay, we talked about that that first week. That gap gives us a place to grow, a place of faith, a place of stretching where we grow. We grow in the fruit in community. We grow in community. Community with God and with others. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Our capacity to love grows in community. It doesn't grow when you're alone. Capacity to love grows in community. The capacity for joy grows in, and peace grows in community and in adversity. Those things grow together. If you want an opportunity to grow in the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, get married. Um, <laughs> my wife knows that all too well. But seriously, it's like you don't even have to be married. In the context of this marriage, I see it reflected in the life of the church. If you want to grow in patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, kindness, or no, faithfulness, self-control, all those things, in love, joy, and peace, Stop laughing. All those things. Throw yourself into a church community. Put some roots down into a church community. I guarantee you, you will have an opportunity to grow in patience. You will have an opportunity to grow in kindness. You will have an opportunity to grow in faithfulness. You will have an opportunity to grow in self-control, goodness, like you name it. If you're part of a church community, and you should be, God designed it that way so you can grow in all those things. That community is there for a reason. And we grow in that and we bear fruit in that. I mean, it's funny because some people say, don't pray for patience. It's like, well, you should pray for the, all the fruit of the Spirit because it's like, you know, it's this, it's this uh, uh, whiplash effect because it's like, you know, if you pray for patience, you're going to have an opportunity to be patient. 
hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, all those things. But you know what I'm saying? It's like we grow in those places. And, and I'm going to ask the, the team to come back because we're almost there. I'm going to land this plane. Love God, love others. It's reflected in community. We can all grow here this morning. I, your pastor, am growing daily. And some days there's a lot of pruning happening. Some days, you know, there's a big gap. But I'm growing because I know that that's how God's designed us. And and I grow in community and I I grow in faith and and I grow in the gap because I know that that's how God designed it to happen. It's his plan for his people to grow, to flourish, to be healthy. That is God's plan for you as much as it is for me. That is part of the process for us to grow and to bear much fruit. I mean, we talked about that in the book of John there, that you would bear fruit and your fruit would remain. It's so powerful when we realize that. So here's the question, because it begs a question. And the question is this, how are you doing with that? When you look at your life, when you take stock, and I want us to take stock right now, I mean, this is a bit of a time, it's a call for fruit inspection, okay? We're about to have fruit inspection. You like, look at your life. Look at the outflow of your life. When you think about what your life is producing, what types of things are coming out of you? What types of things are coming out of you when in the midst of community, when we rub up against other people, when we're pressured, when we're, when we're rubbed the wrong way, when we have opportunity to be patient, when we have opportunity for all those things, What comes out of us? What's coming out of our lives? I want us to take stock of that. What's my life producing? And I want you to think about that both from the standpoint of what fruit is there and what fruit is not there. Sometimes there's sins of omission where there's things that should be happening that are happening as well as things of commission where things are happening that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, so I mean, but as we inspect that, I want us to think about that that we would produce a crop of righteousness, good fruit, glory to God, fruit of the Spirit. When we think about our relationships, relationally, our connections to other people as well as our connection to God, what is the fruit of those relationships? Are they fruitful in a good way? Are the people that we are connected with helping us to grow or are they causing us not to grow? And then there's, there's one more part that you know, I'd love to avoid, but I can't. But it's that whole pruning process. When we look at our lives and we see where we're at and we think about it from a context of producing fruit and we think about it in the context of, of the pruning process, the cutting off of things, what are those things, those dead things, those unhealthy things, those things that are growing that produce no fruit, that use up our nutrients, our energy, our resources, but they're fruitless? Like those things in our lives. And and maybe God's trying to find ways to cut those things off in our lives and we're resisting it. Like the pruning process, we're we're in the midst of that and it's like, no, God, stop, stop that. Like, no, that's mine. You know, maybe maybe it's something like a habit, a bad habit. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a defense mechanism. Maybe it's a secret sin. And and God's like kind of in there with the pruning shears and it's like, like, no, God, that hurts, stop. Like this can't be good because it hurts. Sometimes in the process when God is trying to get those things that are hurting us and holding us back out of our lives, it doesn't feel good. You know, whether you're producing fruit or not, you're going to get cut. And we don't like that. 
We resist that. We, we don't, we don't want to be pruned. We don't want to be trimmed. We just want to be left alone. We've got some apple trees on the, on the farm where I grew up that me and my grandfather planted. I'm not going to tell you how many years ago. And they've been unattended now for the last 12 years. You might get a handful of apples off of those trees right now. I mean, they're huge, but they're out of control. There's limbs growing every different direction. At some points, they might have blossoms on them, some points not, but they're not producing fruit. Why? Because they haven't been pruned. They haven't been properly cared for, and they're out of control. What should be a good thing has gone out of control. And maybe in your life, you're thinking about that. Well, there's, there's some things in your life that, you know, you're just like, no, let's just ignore that. That's just, and maybe it's been years, and that thing has gotten out of control, and it's choking out your fruitfulness. And it's like, this isn't a condemnation. This is just a, this is, Jesus is the vine. God is the gardener, and he wants you to produce fruit. And he knows how to make it happen better than we do. The tree doesn't tell the, the, you know, the vine dresser, the vine doesn't tell the vine dresser how to do it. The vine dresser knows because he designed us. There's things in our lives that God's trying to cut away. Maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe it's something, but it's there. And you're like, yeah, stop talking about it. It's making me uncomfortable. I recognize it in my own life. It's there. And if we refuse to deal with it, God's like, all right, I'm not going to force the issue. The tree keeps moving. I'm not going to force the issue, but it's like, oh, to be in that place where we trust God enough that he can take his scalpel to those areas of our lives and prune those things away, that when it's gone, we're actually relieved. That when it's gone, we feel like, oh, oh, thank you, God. That hurt. That hurt like, but, but really, God, that, thank you. Thank you for making that happen. And in the moment, we're not going to resist it, but it's like when we can get to that place where we trust him enough to allow him to do that surgery. Oh, the freedom. Oh, the fruit. Oh, the, oh, the joy. Oh, the peace. Oh, the patience. Oh, the kindness. The things that come out of that. Can we stand together? God wants to see your lives fruitful. He wants to see you full of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to see full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants to see you free to grow, to, to, to impact, to thrive to be full of life. I mean, we've talked about this whole series about growing. Oh, it's, it's incredible to grow. We see it in the little ones and we're never prouder than when we see our kids go from the infant to the adult and they square their shoulders back and, and they're grown and, the, and you look and they go, wow, that's amazing. How much more God in heaven looking at us as his children and seeing us squared back, completely relying on him, full of his Holy Spirit, producing fruit. And even in the church context, us as a church, producing fruit, believing for more fruit, being willing to be pruned, being willing to be, to be cut sometimes and to be redirected and say, no, that's not good, that's not healthy, that's not producing anything. Are you willing to sacrifice it? I'm not going to get, that's a whole other message, people. That's a whole other message. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for your people. God, whom you've chosen to bear much fruit. God, I absolutely believe you have called people to bear much fruit. Lord, it's your character and it's how you designed us to be. Lord, I pray for those here this morning that are struggling with the pruning process. They're resisting that because it hurts. 
Well, God, we do recognize the pain, but Lord, even today, Lord, help us to see through the pain to the produce, through the pain to the production, through the pain to the power of God to produce fruit in our lives. Lord, whether it be a pet sin, Lord, whether it be an attitude, whether it be an insecurity, whether it be something that's holding us back in, in, in our spirits, Lord, we just, we just lay it on the altar, Lord. We say, God, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. Lord, cut it off. Lord, take care of that. Lord, make that happen. Lord, I give it to you, Lord. I recognize. I give you permission to be the gardener, to prune me, to produce fruit. And Lord, I pray that your fruit will remain that your fruit will last, your fruit will be, be something that goes onward and produces more fruit in our lives. God, we submit to you in the process. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing as we worship.